Welcome to Writing on Wednesdays, a podcast about building a healthy and sustainable writing process from beginning to end, but mostly in the middle. Today, we're talking about evergreen content and how to make the most of it. I'm Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician living in St. Louis. And I'm Nicole Rokas, an author, speaker, and writing coach in Toronto. So let's get ready to talk about evergreen content, also Nicole's favorite new bag. So get your pens ready, pull up a chair, and join us for a weekly Wednesday writing date. So evergreen content, let's talk about what this actually is, and then how Nicole and I currently use it, and how we're looking into the future for ways that we could be using evergreen content. Yeah, Sarah, how do you define evergreen? I think of evergreen content as content that is not time bound in its relevance. So like if I um, posted a post, hey, I just got a book contract, which some of our readers heard in our last episode. Oh, I got got a book contract. Yay. Um, That's not really relevant a year from now. Mm -hmm. But for instance, your blog post series that you're currently doing, Writing with Depression, that's just as applicable 10 years from now as it is Mm -hmm. today. You know, people are still writing with depression and can learn from what you've posted. So evergreen in the sense of like the evergreen trees, uh, it's it's um, always useful information or um, at least seasonally appropriate information. Yeah. I And also there's a visual aspect to this, uh, the images and stuff that you use in blog posts quickly. I, I mean, I think even more than the content uh, looks dated more quickly. Like I used to... Even in Canva, I used to create cover images for blog posts with text in it. And I've noticed that... Oh, yeah, me too. And I've stopped. I've Uh, stopped and I just put images. I I just put high quality, mm -hmm, high res images as the cover because fonts, you don't think about it, but fonts um, look dated very quickly. Mm -hmm, They do. Yeah. So, and you don't want to make more work for yourself in the future. Right. And there's another aspect of this to think about too when writing books. Books, mm-hmm. you really have to be careful about this because it's really easy to put references to the names of certain device, like te- technological devices mm-hmm. or political yeah. events that feel current. And it feels like, you know, in five years, everybody, everybody's still going to be calling things smartphones or iPhones or whatever. But you really, you really don't know. And, and yeah, I think it's just the phone at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So when actually when I'm coaching people and editing people's work, I I actually tell people like stay away from um, political analogies and stay as much as possible. Like just avoid referring to particular names of devices, mm-hmm. <laughs> like or even names of like websites or platforms. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a social media platform. It's not Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, right? What have you? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, that's kind of like a granular way of thinking about like what makes something evergreen. So it's not just about the general topic of the content, but also like the particular metaphors that you're using and things that you're referencing. Yeah. It's a way of thinking ahead of time. Uh, can I can I finish that? It's it's a way of thinking ahead of time. How can I ensure that my content stays evergreen? So I have a funny story about that. When I, so the book that I have coming out soon, I had submitted my manuscript and um, my husband had read parts of it, like a lot of it in in chunks, but he hadn't read the whole thing until I was like in the copy editing phase and stuff. And um, I, at one point in the book, I had a joke that I was making about something and I happened to refer to Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada and I made a joke about 
the color of his socks because he's sort of known for always wearing like weird socks, uh, weird, weirdly colored socks, which in and of itself is probably a bad joke since most of my readers are American and like uh-huh. would have no clue about that. <laughs> but anyway, it, it fit within the text and like, and, and stuff. Um, and my husband is reading it. He's like, you should take this out. And I'm like, why? And, you know, he's like, because, you know, who knows how long Trudeau will be prime minister and what if people are reading this in eight years and he's not in office anymore and blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm they're like, like, what is this thing? I don't remember any of this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know. They can look him up and find out that he was the prime minister. And anyway, he, I was a little annoyed because I thought it was a good joke, but he finally persuaded me to take it out. Well, so I took it out at like the very last stage, like the typesetting stage of editing. And I sent it in and I think like the next day or something, Justin mm-hmm. Trudeau dissolved the, the parliament and set the date for the 43rd election of Canada. Like, elections in Canada are weird. They're not always wow. <laughs> predictable. So I'm like, it, and it's looking like mm-hmm. he will probably be out of office um, as of October 21st. So, <laughs> yeah, so uh, it oh, was wow. just like, so fun. Like, we were, we had just been talking about that. And I took the joke out. And then it's like, Oh, <laughs> I'm really glad I did that. Wow! And then, like, the book went to the the, pre- the to to be printed like the day after that. So it was all like very fast pace. And I'm wow, that's really yeah. I wouldn't have had the chance to take it out had I waited any longer than I did. Yeah. So that's like that's like the advanced thing of like I'm going to intentionally make sure that like my book, but you know, other things it can be evergreen yeah. into the yep. future. Yeah. I think of some things, like we're going to talk about strategies to make the most of evergreen content, but I want to talk a little bit about like stuff that by its nature or its medium isn't evergreen. Hmm. And I think it's important to note what isn't evergreen so that if you want to, you can repurpose it and turn it into something else. Because I'm thinking specifically of most social media posts Mm -hmm. and the writing that goes into that, even if it's a sentence or two, that's you know, that's writing. And I'm also thinking of newsletters. And I realize some people write newsletters, like emailed newsletters that are kind of like essays. But many of us, including me, write um, write newsletters that are kind of like a newsy letter, like like a newsletter, actually. Like, oh, here's what's going on in my life, that kind of thing. Um, and yes, yeah, yeah, so it is like by its design, it's supposed to be current. Um, and I, so I think that those two mediums you know, if you're going to be putting time into writing things on social media, maybe there's a way for you to repurpose some of what yeah. you're doing so that it is reasonable, so that it can become evergreen. So you're not just, oh, there's that Instagram photo from a year ago that no one's ever going to see again. Yeah. Not that current stuff is bad. No. It just seems like, oh, I'm putting all this work in it. I want people to be able to see it a year later or two years later. Yeah. And there's also something to be said for finding a way to republicize blog posts, etc. that may not be evergreen. Like like one school of thought is to write in a way to that all all or the majority of your blog posts or newsletters or whatever are evergreen. And another strategy is to know is to find ways to like use blog posts that were intentionally not evergreen. And for example, like on social media, like throwback Thursdays, hashtag, I will sometimes post like really old blog posts on Throwback Thursday and I'll mm-hmm. use the hashtag yeah. and it signals to people that, oh, you know, this was going on in my life a few years ago. This may not be up to date. Or um, 
Oh, because like throwback is different from evergreen. Right. Yeah. You know, like, oh, here's where I was and I'm in a different yeah, place. Yeah. Like now. I, I wouldn't just necessarily post, like if I had a blog post from when I was, from like when my father-in-law was dying. Right. Like I wouldn't just post mm-hmm. that blog post now without an explanation. Yeah. Because then people will think, oh, right. this is happening yeah. right now. But if I say yeah. throwback Thursday to back to a difficult time in my life, you know, you know, people will still read that because it's an interesting post. But they understand it differently. Right. And it's self-consciously like I'm dating myself. Um, Mm -hmm. Or another thing that I'll do is I'll take blog posts like that that have never been a podcast episode and I'll read them over podcasts but say at the beginning like, oh, this is a blog post from six years ago when I was going through this other thing. Um, And I'll read it and then I'll reflect on like what's changed in my life or how I think differently about things. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah. This is like, it's not evergreen, so let's turn it into something <laughs> something else. That's really great. But it adds something new to it. Like where if I were to just mm-hmm. take that blog yeah. post and make it evergreen and take out all references to things that were going on in the world or in my life at that mm-hmm. time, it would be yeah. It would be a less rich post. It would be it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would be something different. Yep. So that's the stuff that isn't evergreen but can be repurposed. Let's now talk about strategies to make the most of the actual evergreen content. Because yeah. um, I think sometimes we assume, oh, people are going to be able to find what I've what I've made. And I'm thinking, you know, if you've had years of blog posts or something, uh, by and large, people are not going to be able to find it or they're not going to, you know, take the time to wade through years of blog posts that may or may not be evergreen. Right. Um, so I think it's kind of on us as the people creating to do something with our evergreen content if we want people to find it. Yeah. So what can we do with it, Sarah? Well, I think the first and most obvious is reposting on social media platforms. And I know that some people do this where they automate, I'm think especially on Twitter, will automate links to previous blog posts, previous um, podcasts, and they just, you know, have it set up. And I think on Twitter, you have to change the words or something. So it can't be an identical post. You can't just repost the same thing. Yeah, it used to, people used to do this a lot more. Um, I actually have worked for clients, like I've done the social media stuff for clients who would do this through Edgar, like mm-hmm. Edgar, the social media scheduling app software mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. It had a function where you could like create a post and then have it set to like repost every three months or something. Um, yeah, yeah. You can't do that on Twitter anymore. You have to change the wording. Mm-hmm. And I have a feeling that that Twitter will become even more strict like you'll you'll have to do more than like change a word or something so it's that's actually not really good practice anymore Mm -hmm. yeah but i think though that the general so like not with twitter specifically and i don't actually automate that on twitter um so i don't do very much on twitter it's not not a platform for me by and large but i do think that that the the idea of like oh i i can actually repost something and it's fine um i'll sometimes use I have used in the past like a hashtag evergreen kind of thing, or you've mentioned hashtag throwback uh, Thursday. But I think that, um, you know, if something comes up where it's like relevant of like, oh, I did this thing, I can bring it up again, especially if it's if it's really relevant to what to what's going on. Like, sure. Great. You know, people it's it's new material for a lot of people. They haven't they wouldn't necessarily have seen it the first time around. One person that on Twitter that I think does a really good job of this is Jennifer Polk. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll put her her like Twitter handle in the in the show notes. She is somebody that works with a lot of like alt acts. She helps PhDs kind of find their way. Um, so she has like 
a lot of, you know, there are always new people coming into her ecosystem universe that are new to academia and new to all of these alt-ec issues. And so she's been blogging for quite a while and she's quite prolific and she has a lot of really helpful Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. And she does a really good job of, you know, getting that stuff out there continuously for every new crop of people. And, you know, people come across her Mm -hmm. work and are like, they have never read that blog post before, you know? Mm -hmm. Even though it's 10 years old or what have you. And it's just as useful for them now as it was the first time she wrote it. So another way to think about repurposing or reposting uh, material that you've already created is to think about places that that you're creating new content and thinking about how you can reference the old content. And I think of I think of two really good examples here. One is having like a years past section in a newsletter. Um, I see this in newsletters that I receive, and I also do this in my author newsletter. And it's a it's a place where, you know, oh, here's something that was happening a year ago. And we'll get in a minute, we'll get to like how I actually keep track of that. So it's a lot of stuff to keep track of. But it's just like, oh, here's a couple of links. And I'll I think of one cookbook author that I read where it's like, oh, I love to see like what she was posting, you know, eight years ago. Yeah, because uh, you know, a good recipe is a good recipe, and I, I want to see it. And it's nice to be reminded of that. Another way of y- using this content is having like a PS section of blog posts. And I think of this as like an intentional way of doing related posts. And sometimes you'll see that in a blog post where it's like related post colon blah, 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 blah. Or if you like this post, you might like this other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some of it is like the author themselves put it puts it into the post and some of it is like you can have an automated like a widget in your website that will that will do that i like this having at the end of the post having something related i don't honestly i don't do it as often as i should i think that this for me goes into the category of oh something i'd like to do rather than something that i currently do i should be better at linking to related blog posts yeah. within my new new posts tags are another and very easy way mm-hmm. to do this at the bottom of my blog posts i i always put at least two or three tags per blog post mm-hmm. and that way people can click if they're interested on one of my blogs there is a wordpress widget and it actually shows you like the cover image yeah. for that post yeah. like related posts and that also entices people yeah. to click so another way to uh, make the most of evergreen content is to turn the content into another thing entirely. So Cole, you actually do this more than I do. Like I'm thinking of, I've seen people turn blog posts into an ebook or um, turn blog posts into a regular book, which is kind of hard to do because you want to duplicate the content. But Cole, you do this a lot of time with um, blog posts and podcasts. Yeah. Like I said, I, you know, the I, I try to avoid just like reading a blog post and like having that yeah, be the episode. It misses like the the intimacy of a podcast, like the the power of the podcast medium. Yeah, what I like to do, um, especially when I'm crunched for time on my on my other podcast, one of my other podcasts, Time Eternal, is I'll I will read the blog post, but I'll start it with a reflection on like, you know, what inspired me to write it, kind of behind the scenes type stuff, and then I'll end with like another reflection on stuff that stuck out to me as I was reading. Or, and those are usually more conversational. I'll stick some musical interludes in there. And uh, I thought that when I've started doing this more and more just because it saves time, I don't have to craft an episode from scratch and make it its own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I thought when I started doing it more and more, I'd be getting 
letters from listeners being like, you know, this is too repetitive. I just read this blog post on your blog and now I have to listen to it on your podcast. Like, I've never gotten a single complaint about this. In fact, I've gotten a number of emails saying that people appreciate it and that it feels totally different listening to it as opposed to reading it. Oh, that's great. Especially since I I wrote it and I'm reading it in my own voice. I do the Mm -hmm. intonation, whatever, you know. And I think particularly because I often will use old blog posts. So it's it's a post someone may have read like three years ago, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. So, yeah. That's cool. Those are some strategies. Reposting on social media, um, using a way to link in your current content to back back to old content and turning the content into another thing entirely. I think it's important to talk about how to keep track of what you've made. And I'm sure there are other ways of doing this, but here's what I do. I use an Airtable spreadsheet and we've talked about Airtable on the what on this podcast before. It's a it's a software where you can make spreadsheets and kind of like a spreadsheet database hybrid. And I have basically put all of my posts into all of my blog posts. I'm thinking specifically of blog posts. I've put all of them into an Airtable spreadsheet and I've given them a calendar date. And then I can go and I can see, you know, what was, what was I doing on this same week a year ago, the same week, two years ago. And it's an Hmm. easy way for me to see like, what do I have from years past that I can link to in my newsletter? It, I, I don't think I'd be able to do this otherwise. Um, just keeping track of what I've done. Whereas I just try to remember. (laughs) (laughs) And occasionally sift through my tags and, you know, I like go through my blog posts regularly to remind myself what I've written and stuff. Uh But yeah. Wow. I just try to remember and a lot of times forget and whatever, but life is short and I don't get paid for blogging and I suck at executive functioning. So there you go. (laughs) Well, there you have it. I'm curious what our listeners do for their evergreen content. Oh, what what strategies strategies have you tried? What strategies do you want to try? Uh, let us know. We're at writingonwednesdays.com. We'd love to hear from you. Now we've come to Tips and Tools, a segment about building better writing systems one small step at a time. And Cole, what is your small step this week? Yeah, I don't know how this fits into better writing systems, but I just got a new backpack that I would like to share with the world because (laughs) it has made me a little happier in my life. So previously, for the last, I don't know, ever, 10 years or something, I I think, sir, as long as I've known you, certainly as long as I've known my husband, I have had a green North Face backpack. Mm -hmm. I used it for graduate school. I know it well. (laughs) I used it for, um, you know, day trips, weekend trips, like everything. It had one of the straps that goes across your shoulders and then Mm -hmm. across your waist for like good back positioning and all of that. Um, My husband so lovingly described it at like the aesthetic as like high school junior level. Um, he said, he said it made me look like at least Thanks, 15 Basil. years younger than I actually am. <laughs> um, I was in fact wearing it when he proposed to me. Long what? story. Oh, so, that's cute. <laughs> a lot of memories in that. Anyways, it has gotten really grimy and grubby over the years. It does not look professional at all, even though I wear it to work every day. And sometimes my colleagues look at me like, oh, she's bringing that bag in here again. 
but you don't wear it to work every day anymore. I don't because I finally adulted and I got a new backpack. Ooh. It is a wonderful backpack. So the brand is Lekeski. It's called on Amazon Lekeski Business Laptop Backpack. Uh, L-E-K-E-S-K-Y, and we'll put a link in the show notes. This is like more of a professional backpack. And um, you'll see on, on Amazon, it just has a nice look. It's not that expensive, but it's a really, really nice bag if you're into backpacks. I have to use backpacks most of the time because over-the-shoulder bags like throws my shoulder and my whole back off. So for work, for commuting, for day trips, I have to use backpacks. Um, what I like about this bag and what is so unique, I think this is a, is a German brand because it came with an instruction packet entirely well, in German. fortunately, you have a master's degree in uh, German literature. <laughs> you can read all this. Yeah. So there's like no sweat. Um, I didn't read the directions. I don't know why you need directions for, for a backpack. backpack. Yeah. But anyway, it has this like internal frame, like a metal frame. I can't really describe it. I'm going to make a... Uh, post on my blog with pictures and then I'll, I'll post that in the show notes. But it has this internal frame so it keeps the bag in this sort of like square shape at all times so that you can set it down even when it's empty and it won't tip over. But the frame is like so lightweight and from looking at it you wouldn't see how, you wouldn't like look at this and see how structured it is. But it is a very structured bag and you can fit a lot in it. I love it. I use it for commuting. I use it for work. I use it for a lot of things now. That's awesome. And I guess this indirectly does help my writing because I do some of my writing commuting. And mm-hmm. yeah. it is helpful to just have a bag that where your like tablet and stuff is just easy access, you know, and you can set your bag next to you without it falling over. You don't have to hold it while you're working on stuff. So cool. Win-win. Yeah. Cool, let's dive into our reads. We're kind of alternating back and forth in episodes, whether we have an update or a read. And today we're talking about what we've been reading lately. Yeah, Sarah, why don't you go first? Sure. I have something short and sweet. It's a children's book that I think many of us know, and it's called Blueberries for Sal. It's by Robert McCloskey. It's from like the, I think, 1940s. He's the same author who did um, Make Way for Ducklings and Morning in Maine. Blueberries for Sal has been interesting for me as a writer because of the structure within the book. It's a story of a little girl who's with her, like a toddler age girl who's um, blueberry picking with her mother. And then there's the little baby bear who is eating blueberries with his mother. And um, it's like their paths come together and they kind of get mixed up. And then the little kid is following the bear and the little bear is following the the human mom. And, and then they uh, get sorted out and then they go back. So it's, it's this parallel structure. They're moving together. They come together and then they move apart. Oh, cool. And within the text, there are some beautiful parallel things that are going on in like sentence structure that are like kind of like you see that this mirror is coming closer and closer together. These, these things are um, moving together. And what's interesting for me is not just that this structure here, but how this structure is not tedious because that kind of thing was like well that's obvious and then this happens and then yeah. that happens this is so obvious and i i read i have a small child and i read lots of um children's books and sometimes the structure is just 
painfully obnoxious, like at the sentence level of it, it so duplicates what's going on. But this one in particular is just lovely how there are just a couple small differences that are um, very poetic in how they're put together. Cool. So yeah, blueberries for sale. What about you, Cole? Uh, well, I'm going to stick on my sort of theme from the tips and tools, which is to talk about something that is not really related to writing. And also, I didn't get much out of this like explicitly as a writer, but it's an important book. And um, I'm going to put it out there for anyone who could benefit from it. And this is a book I read earlier in the summer called What to Do When Someone You Love is Depressed, A Practical, Compassionate, and Helpful Guide for Caregivers. Uh, I have a number of people in my life who struggle with depression, like pretty serious depression. And I have been on the lookout for years for a good book that is not for the person who's depressed, but the person who loves the person who's depressed, because it is really hard to know how to help people and mm -hmm. yeah, it is when not to help people and all of that. And a lot of books I've found uh, sort of assume that, okay, just get your person into treatment just get them help and and everyone lives happily ever after. Mm, yeah. When really, my experience is and like the experience of um, friends that I have and things like that is like actually getting the person into treatment is like only the beginning of an even more sort of prolonged season um, than new normal and all of that. And you things may never go back to being the way they mm. were or, or or whatever. So you have to find a way to live with meaning and and all of that and take care of yourself in that new normal of life. This book is the best book I've read on this topic. It it actually you know it it actually kind of assumes what I've just said that getting treatment doesn't necessarily solve all the problems and yeah. difficulties. Yeah. Um so it's I mean and let's be honest like stressors like this affect us as human beings and as writers and mm -hmm. yeah having resources like this are are good and because it took me so long to find this book i i mention it when i can for anyone who's listening so what to do when someone you love is depressed a practical compassionate and helpful guide for caregivers by mitch and susan gallant and that's it for this week's installment of Writing on Wednesdays. You can find show notes at writingonwednesdays.com and connect with other writers like you by joining our Facebook group. Just search for Writing on Wednesdays. Ratings and reviews on iTunes are an important way for people to find this podcast. So if you're enjoying the show, we would really appreciate it if you'd rate it and also that you'd share it with a friend. Yeah. My website is www.nicolerogas.com where you can subscribe to my blog and newsletter to get more writing and coaching tips in your inbox. And I'm online at sarah-bariza.com, where you can find my author newsletter. I'm Nicole Rokas. And I'm Sarah Bariza. And until next Wednesday, happy writing. Happy writing. Happy writing.